I'll stay on the porch Blow the whistle Blow the whistle Blow the whistle Blow the whistle Where you get that from? Grab a mic, spit one Let me hit that blind Pimp C, 8 ball and MJG Keep spitting that P to the IMP Bun B, that's Texas, baby Ballin' G, that's Memphis, baby Short dog, that's Business and Buckets, we are live. Episode 127 coming to you on this beautiful Wednesday evening in the Valley. And I'm your host, Shane Gillette, a.k.a. Razor, a.k.a. Shane Gillette. And we have a lot to talk about in the MMA world. There's things going on in the UFC, outside the UFC, some PFL action, some boxing action. I mean, since March, the MMA world is on Fuego, and we have so much to break down. But before we do, we're going to talk the one and only sponsor here at Business and Buckets, and that is Fueled Supplements. So the Business and Buckets podcast is proudly sponsored by Fueled Supplements. If you guys are an elite athlete, a busy mom on the go, or just looking uh, for a product to suit your daily wellness needs, Fueled Supplements has you covered. You could choose from their selection of premium sports and wellness formulas backed by 30 years of market experience. Go to FueledSupplements.com, use my promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S, for 15% off. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. Now, we're just going to jump right in. You know, I had a another another hosting experience this weekend. Uh, one of my buddies on his birthday weekend, little Easter weekend, went and saw some new places, saw some sites, caught Supercross. My guy Ken Roxon in the Triple Crown event here in Glendale. That was a ton of fun to see. He raced well, <clears throat> didn't take a race, uh, battled in a couple of the, the Triple Crown events. And, man, was Glendale slammed. I, that was like damn near a sold-out stadium. That State Farm Stadium's huge. I can't wait to catch a Cardinals game there. Uh, but, yeah, pretty pretty chill weekend. I mean, not really chill, but overall excited to um, go and get some desert footage of the valley this weekend as I'm prepping the introductions, the intro scenes for the video part of the podcast with my produced music from some friends that I have for the podcast rebrand. Uh, ideally, next week, I will have a date done for this. Got to get my ish going here. The people are feeding. They're ready. But let's talk MMA. Enough of this nonsense. We all about that action. So... In UFC, finally, Amanda Nunez has her fight announced. And as much as I want to root for Juliana Pena, I just wanted something else. But there's really not a ton of options there. So we got uh, Juliana Pena, Amanda Nunez, the trilogy going on, UFC 289. Uh, also in the 289 card, we have Hakeem Dawoodoo versus Lucas Almeida. Um, that should be a great fight, Dawoodoo. Really excited to see how he does in his next few fights. And then we have Ikram Alisarikov versus Phil Haas, UFC 288. Pay-per-view cards getting filled out quick. International Fight Week, the rumored Bo Nickel versus Treshawn Gorbau is official for 290. And then Zalgas Zumagalov is stepping in against Rafael Estevam on May 6th as his opponent had pulled out. And UFC 289 will happen in Vancouver the rumor was Canada. They're trying Calgary. Calgary battled for the playoffs too long, so it is going to Vancouver. Uh, Brandon Moreno versus Alexander Pantoja, UFC 290. And a big reason why I'm assuming is because the John Jones Stipe Miokic fight is not looking likely for International Fight Week. So we get the Moreno Pantoja. I believe this is the trilogy for them as well. You know what? We got the internet. Let's 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 double check, huh? It might be the, so I think they fought once before the UFC. Let's see. Brandon fought Pantoja the last time to a loss in 2018, a unanimous decision loss. Oh, so I guess this is just the second one. Why did I think there was a third? Pantoja. Huh. 
So I guess just the second time. Either way, stoked about that. International Fight Week always is stacked. Expect the action coming your way. Um, this is according to Chel Sonnen. I don't know if I believe it. Paula Costa, Kamzat Chemaev to be the Konmei event pay-per-view. Not until October in Abu Dhabi. I know that nobody wants Kamzat. Paulo got the new deal, so now he's probably willing to do it. Um, I don't think there's a lot of smoke there, but do these fighters really want to wait until October? I mean, if that's the case, it is what it is. I wouldn't be surprised, but I, I wouldn't get bought in on the idea that that's fully official. And we'll break this fight down, but Cynthia Cavillo released after her five straight losses in a row. Bummer news for an OG in women's MMA. And supposedly, Divison Figueredo is staying at flyweight. Rob Font had called him for his move up to bantamweight, but apparently he ain't want that smoke. Um, Miami, how about Miami? Broke the Madison Square Garden gate record, and Dana said they will be back. I believe he said the first uh, card was only like 400,000 or something like that. And Miami is blowing up. It's doing its thing. I also think Jorge Masvidal, Gilbert Burns had a lot to do with that. But either way, great to see Miami show out. That energy in that arena was next level. And sadly, one of my favorite fighters, although he's gone through a lot of ups and downs, including uh, some cheating, TJ Dillashaw forced to retire after going under for another shoulder surgery. His first one did not do well, and the doctors say his shoulder isn't going to be good to compete in the future. So he officially announced retirement on Instagram. I believe that was yesterday. And then we have Darren Till fighting the winner of the Rockhold uh, Perry BKFC in London. Again, this isn't official. This is somewhat rumored. I think this came from Chell Sonnen as well. Um, either way, I'm just excited to see what Darren Till does next. I hope he gets to fight and I hope he continues to show out. We have Jake Paul, Nate Diaz official Jake Paul out there making moves. I mean, this is official and, um, that will be August 5th in Dallas, Texas. That was official today. We get to see Jake Paul after a loss. I thought that this would not make it, but it's happening. And supposedly Ty, Ty, uh, Tommy Fury is fighting someone as well. And then we had the PFL this past weekend, and we get the PFL again this weekend. Last weekend's event, about the biggest names you could put on it for a PFL card. You have Larissa Pacheco going to be champ champ, uh, and she wins via unanimous decision over Julia Budd. I thought this was a very, very close fight. It was mostly a grappling match. Julia Budd had her moments. Pacheco probably controlled just a little bit more to get the decision victory. Um... But for, for them having a champ-champ fight, just didn't seem like I saw a lot of marketing, a lot of press. I thought the event overall was a lot of wrestle wrestling-heavy matches that just didn't really show out. Um, but, you know, again, uh, there's the UFC and other promotions. There's levels to the game. But Larissa Pacheco, champ-champ, a huge marketable fighter for the PFL with what she's done recently, also beating Kayla Harrison. They even had Kayla Harrison boxed in to um, give her thoughts during the fight, which was funny. We had Bruno Capaloza with a round one knockout over Methus Scheffel. Great performance by Capaloza. Uh, one of the only uh, knockouts that I had seen. We had Olena Kolesnik with a majority decision over Aspen Ladd, ex-UFC fighter. And she was just too big for Aspen, wrestled her down. Um, I, I thought Aspen would, would look a little better and, and be a little bit more aggressive, but that wasn't the case. Tough loss for her leaving the UFC. Now goes to the PFL and takes her first loss. We had two guys who trained in the John Jones camp, Bounce Jones. We had Maurice Green with a round two knockout over Marcelo Nunez and Danilo Marquis with a unanimous decision over Jorgen DiCastro. So decent event. A couple of those were on the, the prelims. This weekend we get um, Sadabusi and Jaren Alce. Silawi. We have Megomed, Megomed Karamov versus Ben Eagley, Nathan Schulte versus Stevie Ray. And in the prelims, the fight that really I care about, Oliver Albin Mercier versus Shane Burgos. Fucking Shane Burgos performed every single time in the UFC. This is one of the PFL signings that they're getting of a fighter. 
I mean, is he in his prime? I think he's 30. 32 years old, a fighter in his prime that has a very good uh, resume, and supposedly they paid very, very well to get him. You got to win. A lot of these UFCers that are going to the PFL are just not showing out. The UFC is kind of looking good for getting rid of them. But Shane Burgos has to win. So I'm tuning in, and, and I can't wait to see how he performs. But enough of that nonsense. Let's talk about Miami. UFC 287. I went 7-3 and three in my picks, although there was a couple of controversial fights. Some fights that we did not break down that we'll highlight. We had Sam Hughes with unanimous decision over Jacqueline Amorim. Steve Garcia with a round two TKO over Shalayan Nuberadiki. And then Ch the Chase Sherman fight got called off the day of the fight. Supposedly he was sick. There wasn't a lot of updates in Dana's uh, post-fight press conference. But bummed to see as Chase has been battling for his UFC career. That cannot be good. But we're going to start in the early prelims as Ignacio Bahamondes had a unanimous decision over Trey Ogden on a short notice affair. And Ignacio was just the better fighter all around. He was pushing the pace. He's a, a lengthier fighter, has the reach advantage, used that to his advantage. And he was, uh, you know, coming in with such combos that Trey Ogden wasn't able to really read what Ignacio was doing. Ignacio was doing great switching stances, really just flowing throughout the fight. And when Trey did attack, it was like a one punch at a time. One punch, you know, sit back and wait. One punch, let Ignacio counter him with the combo. Maybe even, you know, try to get a takedown. And it just seemed like he, you know, it was almost like, God, who just fought recently and didn't do anything? I can't remember, but it just looks like he couldn't calculate what Ignacio was, was, was doing and didn't feel comfortable putting himself or taking chances where Ignacio was. And, you know, you have to give props to Ignacio for that, the performance he has had, such a young fighter with so much potential. But... You would think after a round or two of, of really getting your ass kicked that you would come out more aggressive in round three. Ignace, uh, Trey did not do that. And it was all the Bahamondes show. Again, we get to see this young fighter with his brilliant performances. I mean, I've been pretty high on this guy. He just has that it factor when it comes to flowing in the octagon, the mixing of kickboxing, the grappling, the whole spiel. He is only 25 years old, turns 26 in August. He beat Rong Zhu, who we think pretty highly of. Um, he lost a split decision against a good John McDessie. Um, he came from, he fought Island Fights, Titan FC way back in the day. So a kid that has pretty good experience that is still so young. And uh, I was massively impressed with Ignacio Bahamondes. He landed 99 total in significant strikes compared to uh, Trey's 42 total in significant. So you could see the, the volume difference throughout three rounds. And he was 0 for 1 in takedown attempts. So really didn't need to. Um, he was just able to control the fight the whole time while standing. Ignacio now extends his winning streak to 3. Trey starts a new losing streak. Where I would have these guys match up next, I would love to see Ignacio take on Jai Herbert. I think that would be a good next level affair. Jai's coming off a win. Or was that the draw? He might have been in that draw fight. I can't remember. Let me... Pull it up quick. Yep, coming off the draw, even though I thought he should have won. Um, so potentially that even makes more sense. You know, it, um, if Jai Herbert's coming off the win, maybe he wants to fight someone higher up in the rankings. But either way, a great matchup. And for Trey, how about Vakashlav Borshev? I think that would be a good bounce back effort for him as well. And then in the prelims, we had Lupi Godinez with a split decision victory over Cynthia Cavillo. And man, was this fight close. Round one, Lupi came out hot, man. She landed some big shots and looked to kind of, um, you know, fluster Cynthia a little bit. But Cynthia was able to stay composed. She was landing her jab. She was circling well. She's been in a lot of fights. She has a ton of ring time. And there was so much you know, at stakes in this fight. And she was able to get a takedown at the end of the round, landed some good shots herself. Although Lupi controlled the first two minutes and had the big moments with that takedown, with some control time with the jab landing, that was a very hard uh, round to score. Let's pull up the specifics here. And obviously the judges 
gave uh, round one to Loopy, but man, was that close. And I could have really seen it gone either way. If I was judging it, I guess I would put it to, to Loopy knowing that damage is the, the, the scorer of all scorers. In round one, statistically, Cynthia landed 21 strikes and Loopy's 24. 18 significant to her 19, but she did have the takedown. So again, very close round. In round two, Loopy definitely slowed down. I mean, she was throwing some vicious punches early in round one. And Cynthia had her jab popping even more. I thought that she did enough um, of control time and landing strikes, although they weren't as, as big as shots, to, to control round two. Stats-wise, she was 38 total and significant to Loopy's 33 total and 32 significant. So stat-wise, that kind of tells the story a little bit as well. So I had it going 1-1 into round three. Both rounds really could have gone either way, though. That's the tough part about judging and women's fights that are, you know, just a tit for tat. Round three was really close with Cynthia definitely pushing the pace. You could see the, you know, this is her time with so much at stake. She had to get the job done. You could see that she was ready to go and try to try to finish the fight and continue to tire Loopy out. And that jab was getting vicked. Loopy's nose is getting busted up. But when Loopy did land, she landed some big shots. Total strikes and significant were 48 for Cynthia in round three. Loopy, 36 total. I thought you do give round three to Cynthia, but again, with the bigger strikes, you never know how the judges are going to call it. Total for the fight, Cynthia landed 174 total, 104 of those significant. She did have the one takedown and two attempts, and Loopy landed 93 total, 87 of those significant. While going 0 for 2, they gave the fight to Loopy. You could see that uh, Cynthia did not sit well with her. She was right out of the cage immediately and probably knew her UFC career was on the line. So I hate to see someone like Cynthia Cavillo go out like that. Someone who's done so much for women's MMA and is still fighting at a high level. But that's, you know, that's that's what happens when you're in this profession. She lost to Nina Nunez on the comeback, which was another close split decision. Two split decisions in a row. Uh, That's brutal. She lost via TKO to Andrea Lee, TKO to Jessica Andrade, unanimous decision to Caitlin Chukagian. She did beat Jessica I in flyweight, a draw against Marina Rodriguez. Cavillo missed weight in that fight, though. She beat Courtney Casey, beat Poliana Botello, lost to Carla Esparza. Uh, Cavillo had some um, marijuana testing, which doesn't matter anymore. She's beaten Pearl Gonzalez, Montana De La Rosa in LFA, Jillian Robertson, Joanne Calderwood in her first UFC fight. Oh, actually, no, third UFC fight. She's been fighting the UFC since 2017. Um, I'm sure we will see more for her. Uh, she's 35 years old, which is on kind of the upper age for women. I feel like men, it takes them a long time to get to the UFC. Their primes are 30 to 35, where women, their primes are probably more like 28 to 31-ish. Um, but still again, breaks my heart. Uh, you know, bravo to Cynthia and her career. Uh, Loopy starts a new winning streak after her loss to Angela Hill and going one and one last year. Cynthia extends her losing streak to five. She hasn't won since June of 2020 and she exits the flyweight rankings where she was before straw weight and the top 15. And then the next day she was cut from the roster. Rankings come out Tuesday. She was cut Wednesday. Or maybe later Tuesday. <clears throat> so what's next? Well, I had said that for Cynthia, it was such a close, brutal loss. I would say she stays at straw weight. Um, but again, we don't have to worry about that. So for Loopy, give me Emily Ducate, another young fighter. That's the fight to make. Let's make it happen. <laughs> Moving on. Joe motherfucking Pfeiffer, man. Be like Joe. First round knockout over Ger- Gerald Mearshart. And this was the Kamzat Chemaev event against Gerald. Gerald's one of those good, savvy veterans that you could put your top-level talent in uh, up against to see if they're ready for, for the next step. And boy, did body bags make it look easy. Joe was calm, cool, collected coming in there. Both hands fucking land like dynamite. He landed some big shots. And he really didn't have Ger- uh, Gerald knocked out. But he had Gerald feel that power. He didn't want any of it when he was down on the canvas. He was just kind of covering up like, hey, call this fight. I'm over it. Um, But goddamn, Joe, what a coming out. 
You know, this guy is on fire, submission grappling, doing all the right things. An amazing story. Be like Joe. Statistically, Gerald landed 10 total and significant strikes. It only took Joe 14 total and significant. So now Joe extends his winning streak to four. He stays th- undefeated in the UFC. He's 3-0. and And Gerald starts a new losing streak. He has one and two since the beginning of 2022. I would love to see Joaquin Buckley versus Joaquin Buckley versus uh, Gerald Mearshart. I think that would be a fantastic fight. Uh, good for Buckley where he's at. And Joe could take on Phil Haas. That would be a banger. Let's make it happen. Joe's game. It'll be interesting to see who wants to, to fuck with Joe moving forward. And then the most controversial fight of the evening, in my opinion, and again, another women's OG that means so much to the sport. It's just brutal to see. We had Luana Pinheiro with a split decision victory over Michelle Watterson Gomez. I tweeted about this uh, after I watched the fight back. So I did not get to watch these Saturday nights. We were celebrating a birthday. So Sunday, uh, while my buddy was hungover, I watched the fights, paid for the pay-per-view. That's, that's the, um, the benefit you get. Oh, my next type. Um... And I scored one at rounds one and three clearly to Michelle. Even round two was pretty pretty damn close. I was very surprised by this decision. It was a close matchup. Again, don't let it go to the judges. The old classic saying, maybe the judges fight. You know, they haven't been scoring this way, but this is an old way of scoring. That it, This is the only way scoring it to Luana makes sense to me is that she controlled the center of the octagon and she was pushing forward most of the fight. That gave her advantage points that clearly won one of these close rounds. Um, I mean, if we look at the, the round statistics, which I have not done yet, round one, Michelle outlanded her by five total strikes. Round two, she outlanded her by two total strikes. Luana was 0 for 2 in takedowns. Round three, she outlanded her by 15 total strikes, 12 significant strikes, and had the takedown. I mean, those stats alone, you can't always live it to the stats because Luana... Much like the loopy fight, when she was landed, she landed heavy. But there was way more volume, and Michelle still was landing good shots. Great body kicks. Michelle's fucking front kick is so fast, it's invincible. She was doing that, that side kick, pushing Luan away and not letting her come forward with momentum. I just think this is a straight highway robbery. Overall stats, Michelle landed 70 total and 61 significant. She was one for two in her takedown attempts. And Luana landed 48 total and 44 significant. So quite a bit less in both sides. And she was 0 for 5. 0 for 5 and takedown attempts. Golly. I just can't believe it. Um, Michelle looked good, though. Uh, she was taking those sh- shots pretty well because they were heavy shots. She was able to defend the takedown even though she was pushing forward most of the fight. And she was able to keep on the outside, keep moving. And she used her, you know, her her fight IQ to her advantage. Now, Luana extends her winning streak to nine. She moves to 4-0 in the UFC, and she does move up one spot in the rankings to number 14. Michelle extends her losing streak to three against the best that Brazil has to offer. She's lost to Luana Pinheiro, Amanda Lemos, and Marina Rodriguez. Amazing Brazilian women. She probably wants to fight someone else next time. And she has not won since September of 2020. She moves down two spots in the rankings to number 12. I mean, Michelle is 37. You know, she's getting up there. This is kind of her last hurrah. I doubt she'll ever fight in the top 10. You can never say never, but the odds are against her here. Her last win was 2020 against Angela Hill. She lost to Carla Esparza, split decision, and Joanna Young-Jacek. Beat Carolina Kowalsiewicz, Felice Herrig, Courtney Casey. Lost to Rose Namajunas, Tisha Torres. Has beat Paige Van Zandt. I mean, she has fought Jessica Penny. She beat anyone who is anyone. She's been fighting in the UFC since 2015. Again, man, what the fuck by the judges? This is brutal, brutal, brutal. So if you're going to give me a fight, give me the karate hottie versus fucking Tatiana Suarez in a return to strawweight. Welcome to strawweight. You can't tell me. I mean, Michelle looked fucking shredded for her weight cut coming in here. Her leg muscles, her body. At 37 years old, she is putting everything she has into this, let alone being a mother and all the things else that she has to deal with. 
I think that her hunger is still there. She could perform at a very high level. This would not be an easy fight for Tatiana Suarez, and we will really see where Tatiana Suarez um, fits. Come on, matchmakers. This is the one to do it. And for Luana, she is going to need to um, to let the top of the division shake out, I think, because there's a lot of fight books, uh, fights booked, unless she wants to take in another veteran out of the rankings, Carolina Kowalsiewicz. That would make sense, but I would assume she doesn't, so she's going to let things shake out. Talking about letting things shake out, man. The motherfucking fight of the night, Kelvin Gastelum with the unanimous decision over Chris Curtis. I knew that Kelvin had to come back in a certain way, and you could hear it in the post-fight interview, the energy, all the effort he's putting in, the time, the determination. This boy is coming back with a vengeance, and he fought Chris Curtis at his motherfucking game. He did not try to wrestle him. He said, I am going to outstrike you. I am going to outbox you. He was light on his feet. He kept moving, kept uh, Chris out of range where Chris couldn't come in and find that knockout punch. And it was goddamn glamorous. This was an amazing fight to watch. The fight fans got a good one. But we kind of knew coming in this would be a scrap. Again, though, the fact that Kelvin was able to outbox Chris Curtis, he, he looked reinvigorated. The movement that he had, the power that he had, the confidence that he had. We all know he's durable. He has the chin. He took some shots. He ate some shots. But goddamn, Kelvin Gastelum looking good in the comeback. And when I say the comeback... It's been a brutal stretch for Kelvin. Let's see. Kelvin at 31 years old. That was what I was saying last week. It's wild to think this fucker's 31 years old. Has He fought three times in 2021 and hasn't fought since. He uh, was supposed to. He withdrew from the Sean Strickland fight in a light heavyweight. I uh, was supposed to fight uh, Dricus Duplessis. He was supposed to fight Amavov. Amavov had visa issues. It's been a fucking shit show. Um, and in 2021, he beat Ian Heinish, lost to Robert Whitaker and Jared Cannonier. Uh, the Robert Whitaker fight was fight of the night. So, I mean, he's had a tough stretch. He lost to Jack Hermanson in 2020, lost to Darren Till and Israel Adesanya in 2019, beat Ronaldo Suzo and Michael Bisbing 18-17, lost to Chris Weidman no contest for Vitor Belafort. Um, he knocked out Vitor, but had a marijuana tested, which is great that that doesn't happen. He's beaten Tim Kennedy, beat Johnny Hendricks, beat Nate Marquardt, lost to Neil Magny and Tyron Woodley, beat Jacob Ellenberger, just beat Uriah Hall in the Ultimate Fighter. Again, this guy's only 31 years old. This version of Kelvin Gastelum is nasty and scary. Um, statistically, Chris landed 80 total, 70 of those significant compared to Kelvin's 88 total and 83 significant strikes. And he was 0 for 3 in takedown attempts. Chris has got great takedown defense. And Kelvin really didn't sell out on those. It was kind of just to keep him guessing. Chris starts a new losing streak. He has 2 and 2 since the beginning of 2022. He's been active. He's action man. And he does move down one spot in the rankings to number 15. Kelvin starts a new winning streak, and it's his first win since February of 2021. Again, he lost to Robert Whitaker and Cannoneer since then. He moves up four spots in the rankings to number 11. Now, give me Kelvin Gaslam. Give me Andre Muniz. And for Chris Curtis, uh, he could take on GM3, who just lost, or let the division matchups play out. Either way, I can't wait to see what's next for Kelvin. This motherfucker's on a roll. What a prelim showdown for the fight fans. And then moving on to the main card, we had Christian Rodriguez with the unanimous decision over Raul Rosas Jr. This is one of the fights that I got wrong. This busted all my parlays. And why I bet my money on a fucking 18-year-old, I am not sure. Um, but the first round is kind of why. I thought he could grapple. I thought he could figure it out. I mean, Raul came out in the first round ready to finish Christian. Christian, who has more experience, uh, more experience, he's been around the block, just weathered the storm. He's in a body triangle. Raul's trying to choke him out. Raul's literally gassing out his arm doing so. He is relentless with the wrestling, um, has never probably had to been pushed like that in a professional fight yet. And then round two, the opposite happened. Uh, Christian had Raul's back, had him in a body triangle, couldn't finish him. Raul was tough. 
But by round three, there was nothing that Raul had. He was way too gassed. Christian was able to, to uh, get it to the bell and, and got the unanimous decision victory, easily winning rounds one and two. Uh, statistically, Raul landed only two total strikes, three of those significant, or two total and significant strikes. He did get three takedowns, although 16 attempts. Talk about emptying the gas tank. And he had the submission attempt. And Christian landed 83 total strikes, 29 of those significant, with a takedown, which was his only attempt. So he's one for one. Now Christian extends his winning streak to two. He moves to two and one in the UFC. Raul suffers his first loss, ending his seven-fight winning streak, and he is two and one in the UFC. So I would love to see Raul versus Journey Newsom. That would be a great matchup. With this loss, I mean, he still showed he can hang. I would imagine the UFC keeps him signed. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if they want him to fight elsewhere just for some experience. He's so goddamn young. And, but you never know. And um, I think Christian could take on Ricky Tercios, the ultimate fighter um, champion. Yep, champion. I think that would be fun stylistically. That would be great. But good, great learning lesson for, for our rule. Raul, his seven-fight winning streak coming to an end. Uh, there's a lot of learning lessons here. I'm sure he'll be back. He's still got a lot of potential. He's relentless. He's confident. You can't teach a young guy that. And then moving on to the Big Mouth Show. <clears throat> we had Kevin Holland with the third-round knockout over Santiago Ponzinibbio. And my biggest concern, the storyline for me coming in, was Kevin Holland, like he typically does, turning it around fast after sh like shattering his hand against Steven Wonderboy Thompson. I, I was like, you know, there's no way his hand's healed. This is going to be a straight boxing match. These guys are going to be slugging it out. And that's exactly what happened. The first two rounds, though, Kevin is so much longer than Santiago. He kept him at range. He was landing good strikes, kicks. And, you know, as long and lengthy as he is, he carries some serious damage with those, the speed, the precision. It's a lot like... Uh, the tarantula, Jalen Turner. Statistically, Kevin landed 67 total strikes, 66 of those significant with the knockdown. And the knockdown was crazy. Santiago had Kevin Holland's leg. He went to punch him and on the same kind of whip around, backhanded him, fucking dropped his ass. You don't see that very often, but that's what happens when you have the reach advantage that uh, uh, Kevin Holland does. And Santiago landed 44 total and significant. He hung in there. He's the heart of the warrior. He just got got. So Kevin starts a new winning streak. He is 2-2 two two since the beginning of 2022. And Santiago starts a new losing streak. He is 1-2 since the beginning of 2022. I would love to see Kevin Neil Magny. I think that's the perfect matchup. That's must-see TV. While Santiago versus Randy Brown would also be box office all these guys are going to look to straight, have a striking affair, performance of the night options on the table for the UFC. And I don't know if there was many people picking Rob Font like a dog over here, batting on the dogs. They eating. <laughs> well, Rob Font came to show out with the first round knockout over Adrian Yanez, performance of the night. Give him that 50 Gs. And what a great comeback showing out party for motherfucking Rob Font. He got his ass beat. He took the time off. He went back to the gym, and he's ready to scrap because that's what fucking Rob Font does. It didn't take long. He caught him. He was slick. He was sly, and Adrian never looked comfortable in there. And this is the biggest moment of Adrian's career. Rob's been there. He done that. I mean, put some goddamn respect on Rob Font's name. I know he got pieced up by Cheeto, but he outscored him. If we're not looking straight at damage in Rob's face, he landed more shots than he outboxed him. Uh, Cheeto's just way more durable. I mean, Rob Font lost to Jose Aldo before the Marlon Vera fight, beat Cody Garbrandt, beat Marlon Marias, beat Ricky Simone, beat Sergio Pettis, lost to Asuncel, beat Thomas Almeida, lost to Pedro Munoz, has beaten Matt Schnell, Douglas Silva de Andrade, uh, lost to John Lineker way back in the day. I mean, Rob Font's this guy. He's just now in his prime, and I am so happy for Rob Font that he got this victory. Cheers to you, Rob Font. Now, Rob landed 33 total and significant strikes. He did have a knockdown and was 0 for 1 in takedown attempts. And Adrian landed 25 total and significant strikes himself. Rob now starts a new winning streak. He is 2-2 two two since the beginning of 2021. 
Adrian starts a new losing streak. That ends his nine-fight winning streak. He moves to 6-1 and one in the UFC. Rob stays at number 6, and Adrian at number 12. No movement in the rankings for them. So give me Rob Font, Pewter Yawn, a little redemption opportunity for both of these guys. This is going to be box office. If, if, if it's not going to be Yawn, which I would understand, maybe Umar Nurmagomedov. And how about Adrian versus the other Nurmagomedov who just lost as well? Saeed Nurmagomedov versus Adrian Yanez. Either way, the bantamweight division, it keeps on going and it keeps delivering. Then we had the co-main event, the Miami show. Welcome to Miami. We had the expected turnout, Gilbert Burns' unanimous decision over Jorge Masvidal. And let's not get it twisted. Jorge had his moments. He, he, he found his shots, but uh, Gilbert was able to get top control. He was able to um, really control and dictate the fight. You know, Jorge, I think he kind of knew coming in, if I lose this, I'm retiring. And it has to do with him losing his speed as a striker. You have to have the speed. You have to have the unknown. And Gilbert is just too high level right now. I mean, round one was probably Jorge's best round. He outlanded uh, Gilbert by five total strikes, two more significant, but he still got taken down. Then he got taken down twice in round two. Gilbert landed 27 strikes. He got taken down again in round three. Gilbert landed 30, and really that's the song and dance. I mean, this is exactly how you would expect it to play out. Uh, Gilbert landed 72 total and 42 significant strikes. He had four takedown and six attempts. Jorge did land more total strikes at 77, five more than Gilbert. Uh, but 39 significant, so less significant. Gilbert extends his winning streak to two. That's both this year and 2023. He's a motherfucker, and he's coming for blood. Um, he stays at number five in the rankings, and Jorge extends his losing streak to four and retires with the last win being for the BMF belt against Nate Diaz in 2019. Uh, might as well retire that BF, BMF belt. I don't think it's going anywhere either. So what's next? I believe Gilbert gets the winner of Colby versus Leon. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. He deserves it. I mean, this guy is a menace. Um, debatably, in my opinion, beat fucking Kamzat Chemaev. I need to watch that back again. That's how good that fight was. Uh, beat Jorge, has beaten Neil, beat Steven Thompson, lost to Kamaru, beat Tyron Woodley, beat Damian Maia, Gunnar Nelson, uh, Alexei Konchenko, Mike Davis, Olivier Abun Mercier, Lost to Dan Hooker, beat Jason Sago. I mean, he is on a fucking tear. Give this man the fight he deserves. Um, I'm sure with uh, it not being Kamaru, that'll happen. And then the main event. I, I, I mean, I'm in sales. I could sell you on this. But if you have a chance, you did not get to watch this fight, go walk it back. Uh, watch it back. The whole production was on point. For me, who's been a UFC fan for so long, if I'm spending my hard-earned money on a pay-per-view, I want it all. I want the walkout songs. I want the performance. I want the post-fight speech. I want the fucking, you know what I mean? I want the whole damn thing. I want the the embeddeds the week up to, the, the press conferences. And really, the hype became about, obviously, is he 0 for 3, losing the one MMA fight after dominating the fight, much like Camaro did Leon Edwards. But Eugene talking about wanting more time as coach. You know, with the recent result of Camaro Usman uh, turning his fight around quickly and losing to Leon too, it just had that weird feeling. I, I, I believed in the champ. I had faith in the champ. He's in his prime. Alex a little bit older. Alex still has a lot to learn in MMA, and, and, and Izzy showed him that. And the energy, the stakes, the characters, you know, the fucking, the, the crazy character that Pereira is, the, the history that these guys have, him with his fucking outfits, um, you know, fucking Izzy with the dog collar saying that he's waiting to be unleashed, the pre and post fight excitement. This whole stage was one of the best things I've ever seen in UFC, if not the best ever, um, the Alex outfit, the shit talking all camp. And the fact that the knockout was the same shot he almost knocked out Alex with at the end of round one in the first fight was even more spectacular. He said, I played possum. He got aggressive. They've seen that. They've known that. And Izzy came out, Wade, pop, 
bah, fucking sat his ass down. And then the arrows, I mean, come on. This shit was so crazy. You could see the moment on Izzy's life. In the post-interview, quotes of a champion. I hope everyone gets to experience the happiness I am experiencing right now at least one time. What does he mean by that? To have something that you care about so much, he's already been champion, he's defended it, but against a guy that has only defeated him over and over again, he climbed a mountain that took so much and took every little bit of energy, all focus, determination, and everything he fucking had to get the job done, he's done it. So when you devote your life to something and you complete that, you crush it, you fucking smash it, and you get to celebrate at the top of the hill, that dopamine dump, that energy, that feeling, that's the shit he's talking about. That's what we should all be striving for. You know, whether it's a, 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 a profession, a, a side hustle, whatever it is, you got to put yourself all in on something and get that feeling of, of, of fucking success and accomplishment. I love it. You know, a lot of these guys at the top of the level, they're fucking human gladiators. They feel this all the time. Uh, but it was just a fun moment, man. I was hyped up on a Sunday after a night out. I'm fucking hyped up. Uh, my buddy's like, damn, bro, you're hyped up. I'm like, this is a big thing. The vicious knockout. Al, uh, Israel mocking is uh, Alex's kid. Even seeing videos of Israel in the post-fight party with Kamaru and everyone after. I mean, the moment was glamorous. It was very Miami. And uh, I really wish I got to witness something like that. Uh, the round two knockout was fucking beautiful. I did not expect it to happen that early. Statistically, Alex landed 49 total and significant strikes compared to Izzy's 41 total and significant with a knockdown. So Alex has his impressive seven-fight winning streak come to an end. He starts a new losing streak. He is now the number one contender. There's rumors that he will move up to the next uh, light heavyweight division. He is 4-1 in the UFC overall. And Izzy starts a new winning streak. He is 24-1 overall at middleweight. So again, what's next? I mean, there's rumor that Alex goes up. He, he really struggles with the weight cut. There was plenty of video on that. If he does fight at light heavyweight, I like the option of maybe Alexander Rakic in his return. You could fight a Nikita Krylov, maybe even a, a Jan Blakovich. There's even rumor for Izzy that Jan Blakovich wants to come down to middleweight to let Izzy try to get that, that win back under him. Um, I don't know if that's really logical for Jan to drop that weight. I'm, I'm not too sure. He's beaten everyone in the top five, so if you look for immediate middleweight contenders, Dracus Duplessis is really the only name. They have some, some Africa drama there as well. If I were to make a bet and the Vegas odds are live, I'm betting on Alex Izzy, the trilogy, one more time. Run it fucking back. Um, could you put the chance of Alex going up to light heavyweight, getting the championship, and Izzy fighting for it? Sure. It just makes more sense for me to run it back. There's no one clearly in middleweight for Izzy to fight. So lots of uh, interesting things to be shooken out here. Uh, I'm sure we'll see Izzy on the MMA hour or some other things here shortly that might give us some tall tale signs. But goddamn, what a card, man. What an event. I wish I was watching this Saturday live, turning up a little bit. I mean, the Izzy fight, the Burns fight, Rob fought. Come on. Uh, big mouth Kevin Holland with the back fist. Raul losing his first fight, getting humbled. Kelvin motherfucking Castellum, the controversy in the Michelle Watterson fight. Joe Pfeiffer, Cynthia Cavillo, what a scrap, Ignacio, and more. I mean, that's about as good as a card as you can get. And this weekend, we have a fight night card, but ain't a regular fight night card. It's going on in Kansas City, and I bet you the energy is going to be wild. We have the main card starting at 4.30 p.m. Pacific Standard on ESPN. Prelims at 1.30 also on ESPN. We're getting primetime television. And some fights that we're not breaking down, we're, we're getting Zach Cummings versus Ed Herman. Should be a solid affair. Lando Venata versus Daniel Zellhuber. And we are starting in the prelims. We got Jillian the Savage Robertson, the 27-year-old fighter with an 11-7 record, taking on Pieta Lafietta Rodriguez, the 30-year-old fighter with a 9-0 record. This is a great fight to start off. It's a matchup of a veteran looking to continue her winning ways against a Dana White Contender Series alum and former LFA champion who, although is older than her, is, like, is looking to take a step up in UFC competition and has looked flawless this far. 
But Jillian's a savage. You know, she's not really even in her prime yet. Maybe she is. She's been fighting forever. She fights anyone, anywhere. And although she's only got an 11-7 and seven record, she's dangerous. Again, it's, it's crazy to me that she's only 27 and she's been fighting in the UFC since 2018. Jillian has a BJJ and kickboxing background, a black belt in BJJ. She is an Ultimate Fighter alum. She has the most finishes in UFC women's history with seven. The most submission wins in UFC women's history with six. She's tied with Catelyn Shukagian for the most fights in UFC women's flyweight division history at 13. Eight of her 11 wins are via submission, and she is on a one-fight winning streak and is 1-1 one one since 2022. Now, Piera is a contender series in LFA alum. She is undefeated on a nine-fight winning streak. Three of them are in the UFC. Five of her nine wins are via knockout. Now, I think that Jillian, per usual, is going to look to get her grappling going early, tire out Rodriguez, and stay away from her power. I really don't know a lot about Piera. She's looked pretty fucking flawless as far, and there's a reason they're giving her Jillian. She, they believe that she could handle the competition. I'm taking Jillian, though. She, is she the favorite? She is the favorite. We marking her on that parlay. We marking it down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. We have Brandon Rodog Royval, the 30-year-old fighter with a 14-6 and record and the number four next to his name, taking on Methus Nicolau, 30-year-old fighter with a 19-3-1 record and the number five next to his name. Now, you know, you see this a lot, but the flyweights just aren't getting any love here. We got number four versus number five. In my mind, this shit is must-see TV. It could potentially be fight of the night. Both men are rolling. They're just scratching the surface of their primes. They have shown a shit ton of growth each and every fight. Let's give these flyweights the respect they deserve. Now, Brandon, he trains out of Factory X. He's got a blue belt in BJJ. He is an LFA alum and former champion and a World Series of Fighting alum. He, nine of his 14 wins are via submission, and he's on a two-fight winning streak both in 2022. Methus has a black belt in BJJ. He is an Ultimate Fighter Brazil alum. He is a Brave CF alum. He is on a six-fight winning streak, and two of his two losses are via knockout. Now, Methus is on a great run. He's got wins over Matt Schnell, David Dvorak, Tim Elliott, and Manel Kopp. But honestly, this is a tough fight to pick as Brandon has good MMA jiu-jitsu. You know, although he's only a BJJ blue belt and Methus is a black belt, he's really smooth in how he transitions his, his grappling game into his striking. They're both really high-level strikers as well. I think Nicolau just has the slight advantage everywhere. They're both so well-rounded. I think the confidence that Methus has shown is going to pay dividends. And I almost would, would be surprised if this did go all three rounds, which is rare in a flyweight division. They usually go to the decision. But I'm taking Methus. I am not putting him on a parlay. He's minus 205. But anything could happen. Raw Dog's been my guy of choice lately. And I would not be surprised if he surprised himself, which he usually does. You can see by the some of the big wins he has. Like, oh, my God. Uh, then he gets the job done. It's going to be a fucking fight, so tune in. Then we have Bill Senor Perfecto Algeo, the 33-year-old fighter with a 16-7 and record, taking on TJ Downtown Brown, the 32-year-old fighter with a 17-9 and record. Now, this is an interesting fight before the main card. You got two men in their primes looking to really show out and make a name for themselves. Bill has a black belt in BJJ. He is a Ring of Combat alum and former champion with three successful title defenses. He's a Cage Fury Contender Series and World Series of Fighting alum. He is on a one-fight losing streak and was 2-1 in uh, 2022. Six of his 16 wins are via submission. And TJ tra trains out of Glory MMA. He has a black belt in BJJ. He is an RFA, LFA, and Contender Series alum. 10 of his 17 wins are via submission. He's on a one-fight winning streak and was 2-1 and one in 2022. Now, 
TJ's going to go to his grappling early, in my opinion. Bill is, you know, pretty experienced and has great BG, BJJ. So I think that's going to shake out uh, that it's going to end up being a fight, uh, a boxing fight. I do think TJ tries to grapple. I think Bill stuffs the, the attempts. They stick to boxing. If that is the case, I'm going to go with Bill in a close fight. He's going to use his experience to control the octagon and outscore TJ in a three-round affair. But I'm not confident enough to put it in a parlay. He's minus 215. Bill is. But I'm taking Bill for, for pick six. And then we go into the main card. A stacked main card for a free fight night on ESPN. We got Clay the Carpenter Guida, the 41-year-old fighter with a 38-19. and 19. Motherfucking 57 fights. Taking on Rafa Gifted Garcia, the 28-year-old fighter with a 15-3 and three record. And the fact that Clay is still fighting and is on the main card over the flyweights just speaks to the, the career and what he has provided for the UFC. The motherfucker's 41 years old, and Rafa's not even entering his prime yet. It's pretty wild to think about. But Clay is so experienced. He really has battled with anyone. He battled a very tough Scott Holtzman into retirement last December. He is definitely still fighting for some ener- with some energy, more than I expected. And when we break down Clay, there's a million things you could say about this guy. He's an orthodox, orthodox fighter who trains out of Team Alpha Male. He's a WEC and King of the Cage alum. He was a Strike Force alum and former champion. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He is 3-2 and two since the beginning of 2021. The guy is more active than most guys on the roster. He's 41 years old. He has the third most takedowns landed in UFC history with 76 of them things. He's uh, got the fight against Diego Sanchez inducted into the Hall of Fame. It was the 2009 fight of the year. Motherfuckers putting on fights in 2009 that were fight of the year. It's 2023. Sheesh. 14 of his 38 wins are via submission. And 11 of his 22 losses are also via submission. Now Rafa has a blue belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight winning streak and was 2-1 in 2022. Eight of his 14 wins are via submission. But you really have to wonder if this is Guida's last fight. But knowing the carpenter hasn't even thought of that, he probably doesn't even let that thought creep into his mind. He's going to show out for the fans in Kansas City. He's going to put it all on the line. And the 41-year-old is actually the underdog. I ain't putting him on a parlay, but I'm picking Clay Guida to start the main card with the win. Let's go fucking the carpenter. Then we get Pedro, the young Punisher Munoz, the 36-year-old fighter with a 19-7 and record and the number nine next to his name, taking on Chris El Guapo Gutierrez, the 31-year-old fighter with a 19-3-2 record and the number 13 next to his name. Now, this is going to be a high-level fucking scrap, man. I think this is the best competition for Chris this far in his career. And for Pedro, we really haven't seen him active lately. You know, he really hasn't fought since uh, December of 2021. He did have the fight against Sean O'Malley, but it was the no contest. And we didn't really get to see him do much at all. When we look at Pedro, he trains out of ATT. He's got a black belt in BJJ, a brown belt in judo. Three of his last five fights have been fight of the night. He is tied with Rafael Sunsau and Marlon Vera for the most bouts in UFC bantamweight division history with 18. He's tied with Sean O'Malley for the second most post-fight bonuses in UFC bantamweight division history with seven. He is an RFA alum and former champion, a jungle fight and eagle fighting alum as well. He is on a two-fight losing streak, basically three, because he would have lost to Sean. Haha, <laughs> you know, that's my joke. He has only lost twice since 2019, but he lost to Frankie Edgar, Aljo, Jose Aldo, Dominic Cruz, and then debatably Sugar Sean. And eight of his 19 wins are via submission. Now Chris trains out of Factory X. He has a purple belt in BJJ. He's a Bellator World Series of Fighting and LFA alum. Nine of his 19 wins are via knockout. He's on a four-fight winning streak and is 7-1-1 one one in the UFC. And he does have a two-and-a-half-inch reach and leg reach advantage. 
Now, honestly, this is a very, very tough fight to pick. I think Chris has looked great lately. He's got some really powerful kicks. He just hasn't fought the same level of competition as Pedro. And I think Pedro really wants to remind us how, how high level he is. He's just at the back end of his prime. You know, he's well-rounded. He's been battle-tested. You know, in the Cruz fight that was 2021, he looked like he still has a lot of skills to put out there. I just don't think he's going to be able to last with Chris for three rounds at the big shots that are coming his way. For that reason, I'm taking Chris Gutierrez. We put him on that parlay. We marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. Moving on. We got Tanner Bulldozer Bozer, the 31-year-old with a 29-1 record, taking on Jan the Hulk Kutalaba, the 29-year-old fighter with a 16-9-1 record. Now, what a banger we get right here, man. I mean, these fucking few fights to end the main card are savagery. Uh, this is going to set the stage for the next three fights, in my opinion, whatever kind of action happens here. This is Bozer's first fight at light heavyweight, so there are definitely a lot of questions here. I just don't think the weight means too much, as he was definitely a smaller heavyweight. Um, he has the speed and the power. Both men are fighting for their lives and are going to have to get a win here, so I would assume it's about to deliver, so strap the fuck in. Tanner has a black belt in Shido Ryu Karate. He has a purple belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight losing streak and is 1-2 since 2021. He is an M1 and King of the Cage alum, and 11 of his 20 wins are via knockout. Now, Jan has a Sambo, Judo, Kickboxing, and Greco-Roman wrestling background. He's an Orthodox fighter. He got gold in the 2012 European Combat Sambo Championships. He's on a three-fight losing streak. He hasn't won since September of 2021, which is his only win since September of 2019. So he went through a stretch of two wins, five losses, and a draw. 12 of his 16 wins are via knockout, and four of his nine losses are via submission. Now, I really don't know who to pick. I go back and forth here. There's so much on the line for both of these men. You know, Tanner is in his prime. Kutalaba is only 29, which is fucking wild. Some of these guys have been fighting the UFC forever. Now, if Jan does get his grappling going, this can definitely go his way. I don't know if he does that. For some reason, my gut's telling me he's going to want to outstrike Tanner, and Tanner's striking is going to get the job done. If he does lose in his move to light heavyweight, you know, he struggled at heavyweight, he's really going to be in a tough spot. I'm not putting this on a parlay, but I'm taking the bulldozer. I'm putting Tanner Bozer on my picks. And then we have... Dustin the Heinyak Jacoby, the 30-year-old, 35-year-old fighter with an 18-6-1 record and the number 13 next to his name, taking on Azamat, the professional Mirzakhanov, the 36-year-old fighter with an undefeated 12-0 record and the number 15 next to his name. Now, this really is a dark horse fight because we don't have a lot of UFC tape on Azamat. He's definitely on a roll, and they're giving him stiff competition much like the earlier fight with Jillian Robertson and the LFA former LFA champion. But Jacoby just took his first loss in a long time. How does he rebound? There's usually a lot on the line for fighters coming off a loss. Now, Dustin has a kickboxing background. He's an orthodox fighter. He trains at a factory X Muay Thai. He is a 2013 Road to Glory tournament winner, a 2015 and 2016 middleweight tournament, uh, Glory tur middleweight tournament winner, He's a Dana White Contender Series, Bellator, Titan FC, uh, World Series of Fighting alum, and a Cage Fury alum and former champion. He's on a one-fight losing streak, which was his first UFC loss, after an impressive eight-fight winning streak with a draw in between. 11 of his 18 wins are via knockout. He has a four-and-a-half-inch reach advantage and a four-inch leg reach advantage. Azama is a Brave CF alum. He is undefeated on a 12-fight winning streak. He is 3-0 in the UFC. Nine of his 12 wins are via knockout. Now, I just think Dustin keeps Azamad at range. He's going to look to use his kickboxing to, uh, and lead that for his path to victory. But he's getting a dangerous fighter with serious knock-you-the-fuck-out power. And you never know when that comes around. If you get a clean shot, 
it could win. I think the three-fight uh, favors Dustin here. He's going to find a way with the judge's scorecard. You never know. Maybe Azamat's a little too aggressive and he catches him. Odds-wise, Dustin's a minus-186 favorite. I am not confident with the lack of knowledge to put him in a parlay, but I am taking Dustin Jacoby. Then the co-main event. I mean, again, this main event for a fight night card is pay-per-view-esque. We're getting some scraps, guys. We're getting some motherfucking scraps. We got Edson Jr. Barboza, the 37-year-old fighter with a 22-11 record and the number 14 next to his name, taking on Billy Corintillo, the 34-year-old fighter with a 17-4 record. And you want to talk about scraps. This is going to be a showcase of some next-level striking. There is a ton on the line for Barboza. He's 37 years old. He hasn't won since he dropped to the featherweight division from lightweight. And for Billy, this can be his showing out party. Although I thought he really came out in the Burgos fight, this was next level. This is the next level for him as he suffered a loss in that Shane Burgos fight. Now, Edson, he's got a black Prajit in Muay Thai, a black belt in Taekwondo, a brown belt in BJJ. He's on a two fight losing streak and is two and three since 2020. He's a Ring of Combat alum and former champion. He is tied for the most fight of the night bonuses in UFC history with Nate Diaz, Frankie Edgar, and Dustin Poirier. Talk about fucking being a part of a group. Yeah, the 2020 or 2012 knockout of the year against Terry Edom and the 2017 knockout of the year against Benil Dariush. 13 of his 22 wins are via knockout. He has a 5-inch reach advantage and a 3-inch leg reach advantage. A lot of reach advantages in this card. Now, Billy has a black belt in BJJ. He is an Ultimate Fighter alum, a Dana White Contender Series and King of the Cage alum. Two of his last three fights are Performance of the Night or Fight of the Night, and eight of his 17 wins are via knockout. And he is on a one-fight winning streak. I really just don't think that Edson could take many more shots. He's been in so many scraps, so many battles, and he's fighting high-level opponents at this point in his career. He's definitely a legend, one of my favorite guys to watch ever. His kicks mixed with his striking are masterful. They're brilliant, the power, the speed. But Billy's fighting at the highest level he has ever fought. A win here can really pull vault him to the level he deserves to be. And I believe Billy is going to come out with his usual high pace. He's going to look to tire and, and outlast Barboza even though our Barboza is going to deliver some damage. He's going to empty the gas tank. And you better watch out for Edson's length and power because it will knock anyone out in this to this day. It's going to be a fun one, but I think Billy smartly tries to, to get that gas out of the tank of Barboza and finds a way to potentially even finish this fight. I am not confident enough to put Billy on a parlay, but I am taking Billy Q. And then the main event, man. This is my guy. We got Max Blessed Holloway, Super Saiyan fucking Goku, the 31-year-old fighter, only 31, right in his prime, 23-7 and seven record, and the number two next to his name, taking on Arnold Almighty Allen, the 29-year-old fighter with a 19-1 record, and the number four next to his name. This could be the best event of a non-pay-per-view fight ever. The level of fucking scrap we're about to get right here. I mean, in my mind, Max is still a UFC champion. He's lost to Volkanovski, who made go down as one of the greatest of all time. And it's just a bad matchup for you. But he's been defeating the fuck out of everybody for years. And we've all been waiting for the chance for Arnold Allen to get someone who is fighting someone at the skill level. He did fight Calvin Cater, but that was a TKO finish with a knee injury. And he did TKO Dan Hooker before. But this really gives him the opportunity. If Arnold Allen wins this fight, he's getting a championship affair, and he's a fucking problem. Now, again, it's wild to think that Max Holloway, all the wars he's been in, is only 31 and entering his prime, but you better watch out. Max has a brown belt in BJJ. He's the former featherweight champion with three successful title defenses. Two of his last three fights have been fight of the night. He's tied for the third longest winning streak in UFC history with 13 wins. He has the longest winning streak in the featherweight division history at 13. 
the second most fights in UFC featherweight history at 24, the most wins in featherweight history at 18, the most knockout or TKO wins in UFC featherweight history with eight, the most finishes in UFC featherweight history with 10. He's tied for the most post-fight bonuses in featherweight history with nine. He has the most significant strikes landed in UFC history at over at 445. He has the most overall significant strikes landed in UFC history at 2,975. He has the most title fight time in UFC featherweight history at over 6 hours and 12 minutes. He has the most total strikes landed in UFC history with 3,217. He was the 2017 fighter, fighter of the year. He's on a one-fight losing streak is 2-1 and one since the beginning of 2021, and he has been fighting for titles since December of 2016. And 10 of his 23 wins are via knockout. Talk about a motherfucking resume. Now, Arnold has a brown belt in BJJ. He's tied with Volkanovski for the second longest winning streak in UFC featherweight history with 10. He's on a 12-fight winning streak and 10-0 and in the UFC. He is a Cage Warriors alum, and seven of his 19 wins are via knockout. Now, don't get me wrong. Arnold is a problem. He's going to be a problem for quite some time as he's only 29 and just entering his prime window. The only losses Max has had since 2013 are Volkanovski, Dustin Poirier for the lightweight title, and early on in his days in 2013, Conor McGregor. I ain't ever going to bet against Max, but Arnold has that serious power that can cause Max problems, a lot of Volk-isms uh, in his fight game. I don't think that five rounds favors Arnold. Max has the proven cardio, the durability. You can only take so many shots, and Max is taking a lot. That's the only thing I'm concerned about. Arnold definitely has that power that uh, has, has affected Volk or Max in the Poirier and the uh, Volkanovski fights. But I think he just puts it on him. He puts too much of a, too much of that gas on him, and Arnold isn't ready for a five-round fight. I'm taking Max Holloway. We putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. What a scrap. Can't wait. Watching this baby live this weekend. And then next weekend, the UFC bullshit Apex, Apex events are back. We have a 4 p.m. Pacific main card start on ESPN+. Plus. Headline, a really good big boy event. Curtis Blades, Sergey Pavlovich in the mini octagon. Either way, what an episode. Lots of MMA coming. Rebranded coming soon. Coming soon. I'm your host, Shane Gillette. See you guys next week.